ever get embarrassed easily? Anyone here embarrassed easily? Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Of course you're not going to raise your hand because if you're raising your hand, you don't get embarrassed easily. The most embarrassed easily person is going to say, there's no way I'm going to raise my hand because then he's going to call on me and then I'm going to have to do something. I get embarrassed, but uh, not easily. I'm a upfront person, right? I don't mind standing in front of people and talking. In fact, the light's on me. This is a good thing for my soul, right? I like the center of attention. Maybe you don't. But even with that, I still can get embarrassed really easily. I say things, the wrong things, at the wrong time. Anybody here like me, sometimes you say the wrong things at the wrong time? If that's you, raise your hand. How many of you like that? Sure, sure. Can you give us an example? I'm just kidding. All right, all right. Have you, ever, have, you ever, um, have you ever worn the wrong thing at the wrong time? Like you show up to something and you're way more formal than you should be, or you're way more casual than you should be, and you're looking around and you're like, I'm going to pretend to be a secure, confident individual, but inside I'm dying. How many of you ever done this before? Um, so when I first started the church, Heather and I first started 17, 18 years ago now, um, I, I, we were brand new to this part of the town. And by the way, some of you are thinking, there's no way you've been pastoring for almost 18 years. You look so young. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And when we first started, I did not know a lot of people in this side of town, even though I grew up on the other side of town. I did not know a lot of pastors and community leaders. And so at the gym, I was shocked when a man approached me, told me he was a pastor, and knew that I was another new pastor in the community, a church planter, somebody who just started. And he said, we have a gathering of pastors who meet at Starbucks once a week or once every other week for coffee and prayer. Would you like to come? I tried to play it cool. You know what I mean? Like I was very excited. And I'm like, sure, let me check my calendar. Inside I'm like, (laughs) yes, you know, somebody likes me. And so I was really excited about showing up for the very first time to meet these pastors in the community and talk with them and uh, talk about ministry in the Bible and this kind of stuff. And I, I woke up that morning and I was really excited, so I got ready. And uh, I got cleaned up and I went to my closet and I pulled out a three-piece suit because I wanted to dress up for the occasion. White shirt, red tie, shined my shoes. I look good. Now, yes, it's true. It's hard for me not to look good, but I especially look really good that day with what I was wearing that particular morning. And I showed up at that Starbucks and I walked inside and I was prepared to look for other men in suits and ties and maybe a few of them, a little collar action, you know, who knows. And I walked in, I saw nobody that looked like that. All I saw was a group of four or five guys in sandals and flip-flops and T-shirts and shorts. And I thought, well, there's no, and there's the guy. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I look like a fool. So I walked forward, I said, hey guys, and they introduced me, he's like, oh, this is Josh, he's a news pastor, and I said, I have a funeral later on, that's why I... <laughs> you don't want to be caught wearing the wrong thing at the wrong occasion, you're going to embarrass yourself. You do not want to be caught in the middle of a battlefield without the right gear, without the right armor, and, and so was the case with the Apostle Paul, as he stated in verses 10, 12, and 10, 11, and 12, look, you as a Christian are already in a war. You may not know it. You're already in the midst of a battle, and you may not realize it. And in the midst of this battle, you need to make sure that you're dressed appropriately. You need to make sure that you're wearing the right clothing, the armor of God, which is already yours. You just have to access it. Put it on. 
as it were. And that's exactly what, thank you, Nydia, for reading that a moment ago. That's exactly what Nydia read to us. We have a responsibility to wear the right gear. You say, I'm afraid of being in the battle. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy. You don't have to be afraid of the devil and the demons we talked about last week. If you're new here today, last week we began the concept. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy as long as you're wearing the correct defensive armor. And there are five pieces of defensive armor that we're going to be talking about today. Next week, we're going to talk about the two offensive pieces of armor. Today, five pieces of armor that keep you from being eaten alive by the enemy. Now, how do I put on this armor and what specifically in this armor? Number one, we see today as we walk through this this Roman soldier's armor that Paul was talking about, we're going to see how it relates to our lives. First, he says, if you're going to put on the armor, the very first thing you need to do is you need to gird your waist with truth. The first one is the belt of truth. I'm going to say, what's the first one? You say belt of truth. What is the first one? The belt of truth. And the belt of truth that we would have seen a Roman soldier wear, a Roman soldier went into battle, not necessarily in a pair of pants the way we would today. Uh, He would have gone into battle with a bit of a, let's call it a kilt, okay? We'll say it's that. A longer robe that he would have gird up with a belt around so he could go into battle. He would have wasted it up, tied it around, pulled it between his legs, and girded around with a belt. And this be- from this belt would have hung leather straps to provide vital aspects of his life. And uh, he would have got this together to uh, hook all the pieces of armor into one location. You cannot have any of the other pieces of armor with really making sure you have the belt connecting it all. So is truth for the Christian. Truth ties everything together. Knowing that there is a truth and that that truth is God's truth. When when Jesus introduced himself one day, he called himself the way, the truth, and the life. And the nomad goes to the Father, but by me. Why do we need the belt of truth? Here's why. Because the enemy's number one weapon of choice If you were in a duel with the enemy, Satan, or one of his demons, and he could pick out a weapon, he would most likely go for his first choice, and that is the weapon of lies. He is the father of lies. That's why we know for sure that the media is the spawn of Satan. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kidding. I'm just, it's a joke. It's a joke, but I'm serious. Now look. Just kidding. All right, stop. No, it's a dumb joke. It's a dumb joke. It's a joke. But it's true. Okay, now, (laughs) belt of truth. Why? Because Satan himself, what he does with the truth is twist it and turn it into whatever he wants it to be to project his his own agenda. And that is the destruction of mankind and the destruction of civilization. This is who the devil is and the demon, the demons that follow him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, gives us one of his, his, his names. He is the accuser of the brethren, the person who accuses us before God day and night. Anyone here a Christian? If you are, say amen. Okay, as a Christian, you're part of the brotherhood, the sisters of God, the brothers of God. We're part of the same family group. God is our father, Jesus Christ, our older brother. We are family. And the Bible tells us that your enemy accuses you before God day and night. That's what he does. We get a picture of this in the book of Job where the Bible says there was a certain time that Satan had access to the throne of God and he walks before God and says, have you considered your servant Job? And they have a dialogue about one of God's followers. Same thing has happened to you. 
It may not have been Lucifer himself who brought your name before God, but it certainly is one of his demons who has brought your name and accused you before God. Didn't you see what Ted did? Didn't you see what Jackie is involved with? You said that if they sin, you would send them to hell. That's what they do to you. But then the Bible says you don't only have an accuser, you have an advocate, a lawyer in this heavenly courtroom drama that plays out. And your advocate, your lawyer, your defense attorney is Jesus Christ himself. He rises from the stand and says, it's true, he sinned, but I paid for their sin. You see, one day I died upon the cross, Father, to pay for the sins of all mankind. Though not all have received me, many have rejected. This individual, though he has sinned, his sin is paid for by my death upon the cross. And you are considered free and clear, justified, declared righteous by God himself, the Father who sits upon the throne. Nonetheless, the devil continues to accuse your name before God the Father daily. But not only does he accuse you before God, he accuses you before yourself. He lies to you. He lies to you so much that you begin to believe that his lies are your thoughts. It's one of the greatest tricks of the devil. We talked about it last week, the one who pokes on the shoulder and then turns the other way and then blames his mischief on others. He does it not only with others, he does it to you, about you. He lies to you, you repeat the lie to yourself and then you think to yourself, that was my thought, it must be true. It wasn't your thought, it was the devil's thought planted inside of you. How does this work? My daughter, Scarlett, who is thir almost 13 now, she was about four years old at the time. We were in our old church facility and I was talking to a man in the back room. Does anybody remember the old church building we used to have on La Costa Canyon Court? How many of you remember that? Okay, some of you were there. And, and I was standing back there one day talking to this man and conversing and all of a sudden Scarlett came up. And if you know Scarlett, she is a fireball personality and a teacup of a little person. And her personality is three times bigger than her body. You know what I mean? You know the type? And she walked in, she said, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. I said, hold on, daughter, I've got to talk to this man. Hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. No, I said, hold on, I've got to talk to this man. Hey, 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 dad, hey, dad. I said, okay, excuse me. I have to talk to this man. I want to talk with you, but later. Say, yes, sir. <gasps> and she stomped her foot. I don't know where she gets that, but she stomped her foot on the ground. She turned around and she walked out of the room. And as she walked out of the room... I said to the man, can you hold on for a moment? I just want to check on my daughter. So I, so I walked around the thing, and, I, and she was walking. She was just. And I overheard her speaking to herself at four. And this is what she said. I overheard her say, everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. Four-year-old little Scarlet the entire world knows about her and dislikes her to the point of hatred. Is this thought a true thought or a false thought? It's false. It's a lie. Say it's a what? It's a lie. Where'd she hear it? No, I mean, really. Think about it. You who don't understand or believe in the supernatural, where did she get this thought? Everybody hates me. This is how the devil works. 
even from our very earliest days, he begins to plant lies inside of our mind, thoughts that we think we came up with. And then we live there and we repeat them to ourselves over and over and over and over and over again. And this is why God says you need to gird yourself with truth. What kind of lies do people believe? Well, they believe things like God is not really good. Yet when you look in the Bible, he says, I know the thoughts that I think about you, thoughts that are good, not evil. Lie versus truth. Lies like this, we believe. God is just like my father. God might be just like my father. And then we look at the Bible, and the Bible says that God is love. Not evil. Lie versus truth. We, we believe lies like, you're worthless. And then we look in the Bible and we see that the Bible says that God says, you're my treasure. You're my special possession. You're the apple of my eye. We believe lies like, you'll never change. You'll never change. You've always been this way. And then we look in the Bible and we see that God says, I have predestined you. And those I've predestined, I have already conformed and promised that you would be conformed to his image. You have been promised that you will change as you follow Christ. We believe lies like, go ahead. No one will ever know. And then we look in the Bible, and the Bible says, what is done in secret will be shouted from the housetops. We hear lies from the devil like, your work is insignificant. But then we look in the Bible, and the Bible says that you labor not in vain, but you labor in truth for God's sake. We hear lies like, you can't tell anybody about this. Little whispers from the devil and his demons, better not tell anybody about this. This is the secret you go to your grave with. And then you repeat it to yourself over and over and over, and you believe the lie, but then you check the Bible, and the Bible says, confess your faults one to another in the fear of God. The truth will set you free. We believe lies that the devil whispers in our ear like your children are your number one priority. But then we look in the Bible, and the Bible says, you'll have no other gods before me, none, none. We look in the world, and the world lies to us and tells us lies like, there is no hope. And then the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. You see, throughout life, you will be bombarded with lies from the enemy. So much to the point you'll begin thinking those thoughts were your thoughts to begin with. And because they're your thoughts, they must be right thoughts. And then you'll defend those thoughts and those lies to others who are trying to speak truth into your life. And the only way to know the difference between truth and lie is by having a source that is 100% true. You say, what is that, Pastor? His word. The way, just like I did with every single one of those lies, is what you need to do with the lies of the enemy. Test those lies by what the Bible says. Say, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Say it with me. What does the Bible say? Say it again, say it again. What does the Bible say? You say, well, I really want to know what my pastor thinks about this. Who cares what your pastor thinks? He's a dude. What does the Bible say? Say, I really want to find out what my priest or rap. Did somebody say amen to that too loud? I think somebody did. 
Somebody says, I want to test, my, my, test with my priest and my rabbi. I want to check with my father and my mother. I want to check with my friend or my, my coworker. What, why don't we ask, what does the Bible say? See, this is what we do. We first test the lies by the Bible. The second thing we do is we test the, the lies by the brotherhood. Two aspects that help filter lies out of our life as Christians. We test the lie by the Bible and we test the lie by the brotherhood. So you say, man, I don't know if this thought that I'm thinking is a true thought. Second Corinthians chapter number 10 tells us what to do with these. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God to the pulling down of strongholds. That is, they're spiritual weapons. And this is what we do with them. We cast down these lies, these arguments that come from the demons, from the devil, where every high thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How do we check this thought to the obedience of Christ? But by looking at the obedient Christ's word of God and going to the brother that he's given us that the entire book of Ephesians is talking about, which means this practically. If you're struggling with a lie in your life, you're not good enough, you'll never be happy, you'll only be happy in a relationship, whatever lie it is, here's what you need to do. See if it's true according to the Bible, and if you don't know where to look, then get with the brotherhood, the sisters of Christ, and ask the question, I'm struggling with this lie is it true or is it not true? The belt of truth, this is where it begins. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. I'm gonna say number two, you say breastplate of righteousness. Number two, breastplate of righteousness. If Satan can attack your heart, he can destroy you. Whatever he can do to come in and puncture your heart he will do if he can get you friend if he can get you to fall in love with anything above jesus christ he has already won the battle that's how he lost in the first place lucifer son of the morning how are you fallen from heaven O lucifer the answer is above the throne of god he looked down and instead of loving and worshiping god he thought to himself i can become like god we talked about this last week now he attempts to do the same thing to you. He attacks you by attacking your heart. And if he can get you to love anything above God. So let me ask you a question. I, I know we're filled with Christians here today. That's who comes to church. Um, if you're here today, you say, I'm a Christian and I love God. Can I get an amen? I'm a Christian and I love God. Say amen. All right, we love God. What God says is he wants your love for him to be so strong and potent that your love for anything else is like hatred. He is above all things, complete and full. And to protect your heart from the love of other things is our goal. Otherwise, it becomes idolatry. Now, if anybody knew this, it was the Ephesians. The Ephesians were not perfect people, but they did love Jesus. And you can see that throughout the entire book that Paul wrote them. Are you like the Ephesians? If that's true of you, you say, man, I'm like that too. I'm not perfect, but I do love Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's the way the Ephesians were. But did you know that the book of Ephesians is not the only passage in the Bible written to the Ephesians? The Corinthians had two books, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Ephesians only has one book. But did you know there's another passage that is written to the same group of people 34 years later? Does anybody know what that passage is? Anybody want to shout it out? The book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible is written by the Apostle John in 94 AD from the island of Patmos. 
And in chapter two, he specifically addresses seven different churches. And the first church he addresses is the church at Ephesus. And I want you to see what God writes to these people, same people, 34 years later. He says to them this, I know your works. I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot stand those who are evil. He says, good job, church. After 34 years later, you are awesome. You work hard, you labor for God, and you hate people who do evil things. Good job. Then he goes on and says, and you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. You know your theology. You've studied theology in your 34 years and the church stands strong on their theology. Good for you. And you have preserved with patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You've gone through some difficult times, church. You've really worked through some difficult moments in your church and in your lives for 34 years. But then he says in verse four, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. The problem with the church at Ephesus was they got all their spiritual ducks in a row and they stopped loving God. Somewhere along the way, the church at Ephesus began to remove the breastplate of righteousness and they began to worship other things above God. Good things became God things. And God, they definitely love God, but he was down here somewhere. Say, Pastor Josh, how exactly did they leave from where they were in Ephesus, Ephesians, all the way 34 years later? What happened in that process? There was so much good information I wanted to share in this sermon. I, did, I could not put it in. It's fascinating. In our small group Bible studies, those who do the weekly small group Bible studies this week, it's inside those notes. We're going to talk in small group this week about what happened in Ephesus to turn them over 34 years to become what they became. But for the purposes of our service today, you need to understand leaving behind one God to worship many is dangerous. I was in India with my wife, Heather, oh, almost a decade ago now. Anybody ever visit the subcontinent of India before? It's a beautiful place. It really is amazing. And we were there on a missions trip, and we were in several different um, states uh, and cities and villages, uh, sharing the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ and meeting the local pastors, many of whom you support through your financial giving of our missions program. When we were there, one of the things we noticed is the incredible amount of idolatry that takes place. When I say idolatry, I mean the literal worship of idols, stone idols, like wooden idols, multiple gods. It's called polytheism. Many, many gods they worship in the, in the subcontinent. This is what Hinduism leads to. This is what Hinduism teaches. What is it? Over 93 million gods, all of whom they place above the name of Jesus Christ. They've left the first love of God, the creator. I remember multiple times watching this, and, and many of this te the temples are very large, some of them very small, some of them as small as, as, as this light here. And you would have people lined up, five, six, seven, a dozen people lined up, and they're all standing there with little gifts and trinkets, and they're standing there with, with uh, incense ready to burn before this God, and they would walk forward and they would kneel, and then they would burn the incense and they would give the gifts. And then they would get up from the one God and they would go over to another God and do the same thing and another God and another God and another God. And I can remember distinctly sitting there thinking to myself, 
How sad to be in a nation where the people worship so many gods. And I thought it over and over throughout that entire trip. How sad to be in a nation where the people worship so many gods. How sad it is to be in a nation where the people serve so many gods. How sad it is. And I thought about it when I went to bed and I thought about it when I woke up and I thought about it on the plane ride home and I thought about it whenever I was here until eventually God broke through in my mind and said how sad it is to live in a nation that serves many gods but at least in India they know they serve many gods. You see, we in America worship many, many gods. We just don't call it idolatry. We don't call it worship. We'll lose our minds and our wallets at a football game. But you come to church, yeah, I could give it or take it. I mean, we celebrate celebrities with our hands raised up, and we weep and cry at the fact that they're singing only 25 feet in front of me. And we haven't cried in the presence of Jesus Christ in years. Many of us spend more time looking at our Robin Hood accounts and our bank accounts than we do looking at the word of God. This shows us that we have lost our first love. So what he says is pick up your breastplate of righteousness and guard your heart. You say, Pastor Josh, how do I know if I have put something above God? Here's a great answer. Very simple. Ask him. Ask him. Any Christians in the room? If you are, say amen. Here's what you do. Ask him. Like right now, later on when we pray, say, God, have I placed anything above you? Do I love anything in this world above you? And immediately, I promise you, the Holy Spirit will be like, yep, this and this and this and this and this. You talk to him about it. And if he says, no, you're good, you have put me first, then he'll share that with you. But what we must do is protect ourselves against the enemy, the enemy who eats us up. The first thing we must do is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and then the third one. Oh, I'm excited about this one. The boots of the gospel. I'm gonna say number three, you say boots of the gospel. Number three. Number three. Boots of the gospel. So I'm going to go ahead and show you these uh, right here. These are clearly some woman's sandals that Pastor Jason put up here. I don't know that these pro properly represent the boots of the gospel as found in this passage. Let me just say this about the devil. The devil does not want, the devil does not want you to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is, the devil does not want you to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody. Listen to me, listen to me. He wants you to shut your mouth because you're afraid to win the enemy. There are people that you work with, people that you live with, people in your community that are captive by the enemy. You have the power to free them by the gospel, but when you get close to them, you're scared to death to actually bring them the gospel of peace. If you're like me. We say we're not embarrassed easily, but then when it comes to sharing our faith, we really, really get super shy, don't we? Because it'll cost me. This sandal may not, to you, look like a, a soldier's boot. In fact, it's very different than the boots that I'm wearing right now. But it's actually kind of what the uh, Caligula was. I didn't say Caligula, I said Caligula, all right? <laughs> the Roman boots that the soldiers would wear. 
what would have been on top are multiple straps that would have held it. And the reason straps and not a full encompassed shoe was because it gave multiple freedom for the shoe to move in the midst of fighting. It's the technology they had for the day. But it was also good for long hikes because remember, as a Roman soldier, you were not just going to jump out of a ship and fight. You weren't just going to jump out of a helicopter and fight. You often had to hike miles and miles and miles just to arrive at the battle. And then when you finally got to the battle, that's when the battle began. Underneath, they would have had a very thick, multiple layers of leather, and they would have had um, pieces of metal stuck in, kind of like we would see a pair of cleats. This is what they would fight in. And if you were going to win the battle, you had to be ready to march to the battle. What were they doing when they marched to the battle but bringing the gospel or the news of their empire? Now, oftentimes, the Romans were coming to bring a gospel not of peace, but a gospel of war. They were bringing the good news that the Romans are here to take over your country. When we as Christian soldiers march toward the enemy, as it were. Remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the demons and against the, against the devil. So then when we march toward those who are human beings with the gospel of peace and our feet are shod with the gospel of truth, when we arrive there, we are not there to attack them. We are there to say, come with me. We are there to free them from the captivity that the devil has in their life. We're there to share with them the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and to tell them how they can be born again. This is what Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says. Look what it says. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who wants to be saved can be saved. I'm going to say who can be saved. You say anybody. Who can be saved? Anybody can be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How is somebody asking Jesus to save them if they don't believe in Jesus? Good question. And how shall they believe in Jesus if they have not heard them? Hey, the people that you're thinking of right now who don't know Jesus Christ, how are they going to believe in him if they don't know about him? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Aren't you thankful for a good preacher? Can I get an amen? Okay. But in this passage, you're the preacher. You're the preacher. How shall they preach unless they be sent? That's what I'm doing today. I'm sending you out to preach. Say, so I can preach? Yes, you're supposed to preach. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. This is actually a quote from Isaiah 600 years before Romans was written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who will bring glad tidings of great things. This is what I want you to do. I want you right now to look down at your feet. Go ahead and look down at your feet. Look at your feet. Look at them. I want you to say, you got, I want you to look at your feet. I want you to say, those are some beautiful feet. Say it. Are you glad you wore your Jordans today? Some of you, yeah. Some beautiful feet. You have beautiful feet if they are prepared to bring the message of Jesus to people. Now, we could talk all day long. Listen, we can talk all day long about what we, we can talk all day, I feel like Khrushchev up here. <laughs> Historical joke, not funny. All right. <laughs> we could talk all day long, all day long about this world changing and how we're ready to go. Let me tell you how we change the world. Please let me tell you how we change the world. 
in the, in, literally, in the seat in front of you, there is this. On the back, it has the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Pull it out. Every single person, pull it out. If you're a Christian, pull it out. Some of you are like, I wasn't going to pull it out, but you said it as a Christian thing. Okay, pull it out. Every person. You're like, my wife's a Christian. No, you're a Christian too. Pull it out. Pull it out. Pull it out. All right. Pull it out. Listen, this is a simple step where literally you can give this to somebody today and put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Can I tell you, there are men in this room that if I said today, go home, get your gun, you would be more willing to pick up your gun and go to a physical war than you're willing to pick up a gospel track and go to spiritual war. I love you. Shame on you for allowing it to get to that place before you share the gospel of peace with blood and flesh that are not your enemy. Amen. You say, but man, the one makes me feel like a man. The other one, I feel like a little boy giving a religious brochure. It's because you don't think of the world properly. You can win the captives of the devil when you give the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Can I get an amen? Please help me out here. I'm not here to challenge, your, challenge you in what you already believe. I'm here to challenge you in what you struggle with. And what some of us struggle with is actually talking with our coworkers. What some of us struggle with is actually putting on the gospel shoes and going forth and sharing our faith. Would you do it with me? Would you do it with me? Before God calls us to other types of warfare, will you go to war and win souls for Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful that somebody told you about Jesus? Aren't you thankful that your father told you about Jesus? Aren't you thankful that your mother told you about Jesus? Aren't you thankful for the friend at work that brought you to church? Aren't you thankful that somebody decided to tell you about Jesus before you were damned to hell for eternity? This is what this is, the gospel of peace. We go to them and say, God is not angry with you. God loves you. You've been taken captive by an enemy. God is not your enemy, and he died to send his son to, he, he sent his son to die for your sins, and all you gotta do is repent and receive Christ, and you'll be born again. You do this, the person is saved. Oh, friend, we're losing the battle before we win the battle. Reach these people with the gospel. Number four, number four. We've seen the belt of truth. We've seen the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of the gospel. Now we see the shield of faith. I love the shield of faith. The shield of faith is there to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, the enemy who comes after us, who dips his arrows in that tar and lights it on fire, who's attacking us constantly day and night. What are these arrows? Well, if you were to pick the number one weapon of the devil, I said the number one weapon of choice of the devil is what? Lies. I believe his second number one weapon, and many of you don't believe the lies, but some of us fall to the second one. The second weapon of choice is doubt. Doubt. It's like when you're Peter on the water, and all of a sudden you believe Jesus, but also the winds and the waves are pretty tough. And you doubt him in the crucible moments. Doubt. This is what the shield of faith does. The shield of faith says, I don't doubt the goodness of God. I don't doubt the word of God. I don't doubt the goodness of the brethren. I have faith in these things. I believe these things. And faith is what keeps us from the doubt that destroys our life. The problem is, is that it's not easy to trust because we live in a world that's constantly trying to trick you. 
Have you noticed that? This world is constantly trying to mess with. How, how many of you just feel like you're lied to and all the time and so you feel like you can't trust anybody? Are you like that with, like, I, I'm very cynical now. Like even recently, you know, like my phone, I'm really nervous about my phone. It listens to me. Does your phone, have you noticed that your phone, li you know what I mean? You're like, man, I want some tacos, babe. I want some tacos. And you're looking, there's a, on your phone, there's an advertisement for Roberto's. And you're like, sounds good. And some company's like, we're just here to help you. You know what I mean? <laughs> and how the apps track you. Have you noticed that? The apps track you. You know, they'll go from one device. You're like, oh, cool, Angry Birds. And they're like, yeah, we also know what you bought on Amazon. You know, like they're tracking you. And some law must have got passed because now they put a disclaimer out there. Have you noticed the disclaimer? It says, allow app to track your app. How many of you have noticed this, right? You download a new app and it says, well, do you want to allow this app to track you across multiple companies and websites? Yes or no? And all of us are like, <laughs> no, click. And then the app is like, sure, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> they're going to do what they're going to do. You realize that, right? You realize that, and that's what makes us so, can I use the word skeptical? Because we live in a world that's constantly trying to take advantage of us. In the back of our minds, we know what P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. And so even whenever we pick up a book like this, we think, I don't know that I can trust it. Or we would sit down with a brotherhood of believers sisters in Christ, I don't know if I can trust them. And suddenly the devil has got you because the only thing you can fully trust is your own opinion and that's exactly where the devil has always lived. So you say, what do I do in that case, pastor? What do I do? Roman shields were built, did you know this? With ridges at the top and at the side and at the bottom. Did you know this? It was really interesting. And the reason they had ridges is because a Roman soldier was never to go into battle by himself. He was not Captain America with a little, you know, one-foot shield. You know, he's like, oh, man, I'll catch everything. He went in with a giant shield with ridges because Roman soldiers don't go into battle by themselves. They go into battle with their brothers. And when you arrived at the battlefront, you could ridge up your shield with the other brother beside you and the other brother beside you, effectively creating a wall as you move forward. And other Roman brothers could put their shields on top of yours and you could create almost a half dome so that as you move forward, nothing could hit you. I don't doubt the faith of some of you. I love you and I know you have faith. The problem with your faith is that you, uh, some of the darts you stop, but you've got darts coming this way and this way and this way and the enemy eats you up because you're in the battle all by yourself. The reason why I'm a man of deep faith is not because I'm more special than you. It's not because I went to seminary. It's because I spend most of my life as much as I possibly can around other people with strong shields. And when I don't know what to believe, I can check with them. And when I'm, not con and when I'm confused about what to do, I can talk to them. Say, Pastor, we can't all live a life like yours. That's a lie, you can too. You can find refuge and strength in the brotherhood. I cannot tell you 
how much my Thursday morning men's prayer group means to me. My small group, my small group. I'm telling you, I would not be the man that I am every single day if I didn't every Thursday sit with those men outside that Starbucks and sit there and laugh about stupid stuff, read portions of the Bible, hear people talk about it, and they infuse me with truth. And I can say things, and I'm challenged there. I'm challenged. I'm not sure, Pastor. I think it means this. I'm not sure, Pastor. What about this? You know what? What about this? And we challenge each other. Friend, do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible, just possible, that if your pastor needs that type of shield protection to move forward, that maybe you do too? Could it be you keep getting shot up because you think it's about you versus the devil when it should be about us versus the devil? You're not a lone ranger, guy. You're not on your own, my dear sweet sister. And that leads us to point number four, five, helmet of salvation. Practical point for number four, to be very, very blunt, you need to join a small group if you don't have a small group. You need to make time for that in your life. You need to, if you have to, stop watching Stranger Things, you know, I don't know, whatever you watch, you know. Give yourself extra time so you can go to small group, do you see? And then number five, helmet of salvation. You cannot and should not go into battle without the helmet. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? This is what I find often happens in Christian churches like this. Now, I love you, and I care about you, but you have to hear this part. It's so essential. There are good people that find their way into churches like this. A friend invites them. They see the building. They stop by, and they think, oh, man, I kind of believe a lot. I like this. It is good. I'm going to... And what happens, instead of repenting of sin and receiving Christ as Savior, instead of truly being born again, you start to put on different pieces of armor and pretend to be a Christian. You're like, well, breastplate of righteousness. I'll start doing righteous things. You start putting on the, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. You don't even know Jesus yet. You don't even know him. You're like Judas, who has found his way into the disciples' group, but you've never repented at the feet of Jesus. You've got the belt of truth because you're beginning to see the truth, the difference between truth and error. You're beginning to have some faith that God knows what he's doing around this. But you've never been born again. You've never been saved. This is why Paul, earlier on in the book of Ephesians, chapter number two, verses eight and nine, he said, it's for by grace that you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest anybody should boast and brag about. Look, the goal is for you to repent and receive Christ as Savior yourself. Have you been saved? Well, pastor, when I was a child, I was baptized. Well, I'm glad your parents did a religious ceremony. What about you? Have you been saved? Well, you know, I've been to five different churches. I'm not asking you how many religious clubs you've been to. Have you been saved? Has there been a day in your life you bowed your head personally in front of God and said, God, pretty bad I've done a lot of wrong and I want to turn my back on my sin and I want to receive you as savior if you haven't done that yet you are still unsaved 
an unbeliever and not yet converted. Today is your opportunity to repent of your sin and receive Christ now, now. Helmet of salvation, you'll notice the rest of it comes naturally. In a moment, if you've not been saved, I'm gonna give you a chance to do so, okay? I'll close out the sermon by saying this. You're already in the midst of the battle. Today, I shared with you five pieces of armor that if you have them, they will protect you from the enemy's attack. But none of the things I've told you about today help advance the cause forward. These are all the five defensive weapons. There are two weapons that you must utilize if we're going to take back ground from the enemy. If we're going to move the cause of Christ forward as it has been for two thousand years we must have these two weapons next week i'm going to share with you the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and the superpower the magic we have called prayer you've got to learn to use these if we're ever going to make our way forward let's pray father in heaven thank you for your word oh god i can't wait till next sunday already my mind is reeling with how exciting it is to share with our church how important the word of God daily can be in their life and prayer, the power weapon it is to those who truly grab a hold of its strength. I pray, Father, you would bring us back safely to this moment of study next Sunday. Now, Father, for the man or woman or teenager, boy and girl in this room who has never repented of their sin and received you as Savior, I pray that today you, the Holy Spirit of God, would break through in their hearts that they would see their desperate need of salvation, they would repent and receive you even now. God, I want to thank you for saving my soul, even though I didn't deserve it so many years ago as a child. Thank you for saving the souls of so many of men and women in this room. Now I pray that you would do your thing again. Do it, do it, do your thing. Save us all.